The Conformance Cast is an educational series format podcast providing information on international standards, quality systems, conformity assessment, and measurement training. For more information on the topics covered here, visit a2lawpt.org for blog posts, free recorded webinars, and our entire catalog of instructor-led and e-learning courses. Welcome back to The Conformance Cast, a podcast by HLA Workplace Training. I'm your host, Evan Hodges, and we are back for our last episode with Mr. Awesome Rob Kanaki from A2LA, who is uh, giving us all kinds of neat, useful information on ISO IEC 17025-2017 and the top 10 deficiencies thereof. Thanks again, Rob, for being here and for sharing your wealth of information. Oh, thanks for having me. And I can't wait to talk about the number one deficiency <laughs> that uh, we we see here at A2LA. So yeah, thanks. I appreciate your enthusiasm. I guess we'll see if it's as exciting as we have been leading up to to this point. <laughs> well, well, I hope people find it as, as exciting as I do. And, and I'm not just a weirdo out here, you know, <laughs> on my own. <laughs> I mean, I think all of us kind of this deep in this specific information are a little bit weird, but that's that's good. You need that sort of person in the world. <laughs> that's right. So um, the number one clause with the most cited deficiencies on this list is 6.4, equipment. And it is a large, long section with a lot of detail about all, all the laboratory equipment related to testing and calibration. It includes requirements for measuring equipment, reference standards, reference materials, reagents, consumables, procedures for equipment, accessibility of the equipment, the maintenance of the equipment, the storage of the equipment. It's real long. It covers a lot. So it's perhaps not surprising that this this leads to a pretty significant number of deficiencies. But uh, what's what's your take on it, Rob? Well, first of all, Evan, I expected like some fireworks, some air horns, some stuff. I, I just, I, I don't know, man. I, I, next time, right? Yeah, yeah. Let's I put let's it just, in in post. Yeah, yeah. Put in, uh, put in some some ba -ba -ba noises. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, equipment. Uh, there, there are just a lot of requirements associated with equipment, and I think at the end of the day, that's why you really see it here at number one. And of course, you, you can't have good data, whether you're a test lab or cal lab, without having the appropriate equipment. And in the standard, it, this is one area of the standard that is still very explicit in having a procedure and that that procedure state that uh, you describe certain elements for things like how you're going to maintain that equipment, um, you know, what the uh, calibration and the maintenance and things like that is, a storage and so it, while a lot of the standard took more of a risk-based approach and it said, you know, you must have a procedure and they kind of would leave it at that. And you could just include the elements that you needed in the procedure to ensure it worked for your lab. Well, this standard, or excuse me, the section of the standard in uh, 6.4 determined it was a very high risk area. So there needed to be a lot of specificity in what that procedure detailed. And, and because of that, 
I think laboratories sometimes overlook or omit some of the elements that are required to be detailed in their procedure, right? So they didn't explicitly state some of those things about like, you know, how they maintain or store their equipment, handle it, et cetera. So that, that, that gets, that gets overlooked from time to time. And it could be that they're doing those activities. They're just not documenting how they do it. Right. So while most areas of the standard in 2017, they tried to open up to a more risk-based approach for kind of the medium to low risk activities, uh, in these higher risk activities, they still kept a lot of specificity in there, which means people can just forget things. And and I think that also then you can correlate that to the uh, the requirements associated for the records that you need to keep for the maintenance that you do, the calibrations that you do. You know, if there are downtimes or you're having intermittent faults or something like that, the equipment's misbehaving, you've documented that, right? What uh, type of repairs were done? Did you recalibrate? What type of checks are you doing to ensure the, you know, the, the appropriate calibration status of the equipment, things like that. There are just a lot of things to record, right? And at the end of the day, the intent of this with the record part <clears throat> is that you'll be able to reproduce, you're, you're maintaining enough records to be able to reproduce the environment, uh, the situation in which the measurements you you did were done so you can kind of reproduce to a certain extent that data, right? So a customer calls you and they say, hey, I'm questioning your data. You'll have enough records to show, you know, you have the appropriate equipment. It was, it it had been maintained appropriately, had been calibrated at the right time. I ran my QC and, and here's the traceability. If, if I have an issue, these are the reagents I used and I can even trace back to that. So that, that's really what this record requirement is about. And it's really there to help you, you know, support that data, especially if it were to get questioned, right? So that's why there's so much there. Yeah, I think this is another good example of how uh, keeping all of this information uh, tedious and time consuming, though it may be, is really like a material benefit to the laboratory. Because while it may not come up every day, if it ever does, like it's going to be really vital that you have all of that. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, there there are times that I've seen uh, laboratories have a non-conforming work instance and their data integrity is called into question, whether it was a failed proficiency test or some sort of customer complaint or something. And if you don't have the data to back it up, especially if you have long gaps, you might have a period of months where you don't have records to support your data and how much testing or calibration were you doing in that period of months. And, you know, now does it all come into question and costly, you know, recalls and embarrassing notifications to customers. So that's, that's kind of the intent of why there are so many requirements related to equipment uh, to be able to kind of demonstrate you knew the equipment was working the way it was supposed to be uh, during you know, the period you're using it for testing and calibration. Yeah. And obviously the equipment is the heart of the matter. That's what's doing all the heavy lifting here. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, the, the people part of it obviously is critical as well. And the equipment part of it, like, I mean, you couldn't put me in a life sciences laboratory and say, Hey Rob, run this, you know, GC. And I, I'm sure I would screw stuff up immediately, but, um, you know, yes, the equipment is what we're using. And if we have trained and competent staff, uh, you know, it all is part of uh, getting the appropriate data out the door. All right. Well, that wraps up the list. And there was a, a ton on the list, obviously. 
but uh, I was wondering, being that you are Mr. Awesome and you know everything, you're the smartest person in the world when it comes to uh, calibration. Is there anything, any kind of insider tips that you have that you can share that might be of like particular use to somebody who's approaching this standard for the first time or or even if even if they've you know been accredited for many years already what's what's something that's going to be useful to to everyone <laughs> sure well um I guess you know that's you've talked me up a whole lot there. I feel like the I feel like the guy. <laughs> no from pressure, the, Rob. Yeah, no pressure. I feel like the guy from the Dos Equis commercial there, or whatever. You know. <laughs> um, the one thing I would say is we're giving you this information because we're we're not trying when when we come on site and we do assessments or um, you know when we're interacting through training services or something like that. We we're really trying to make that organization be a better organization. It, it is collaborative. Uh, we have a job to do. We have to go identify areas where you meet or don't meet the requirements. But you have a podcast like today and, and we make this information pretty publicly available. You know, these are things we find. You know, it's not meant to be a secret. We're, we're not trying to have a gotcha, you know, type of attitude. Uh, so so take those resources and and do thorough internal audits. Um Use this information to look at the areas where you should develop uh, your internal audits. These are probably what you consider a high risk area to, to have findings. Um, so make sure you audit those thoroughly and catch catch these issues uh, before we come on site or you have a customer come on site and, and do their assessment. And you know now they're showing up on an external instead of something you were able to catch in the internal audit. So I would say, you know, Take the information that uh, that we provide. Um, go ahead and use that to uh, bolster your internal audit process. Whether you're prep preparing or you're a lab that's been accredited for a number of years, don't be afraid to cite findings in your internal audit. Document those gaps and then go through your root cause analysis and corrective action process. It's okay to have findings in an internal audit. We we like to see a laboratory that has documented findings in their internal audit. That's that's not something for us to then go write more deficiencies on. You know, we, we we go in and if I see a lab that has done a thorough audit and has a lot of findings, generally that assessment goes a lot smoother than the lab that has zero findings. Right. So um, I would say just, you know, take the information that we have available, uh, use it to make your audit program better. And if you ever have questions about accreditation, the interpretation of a requirement, Reach out to your uh, contact at A2LA, reach out to somebody at WPT, A2LA WPT, and uh, we're, we're here to help. We're, uh, we're all about ensuring that, you know, we, we do our job and that our laboratories meet the requirements of the standard, but uh, we really aren't out to get you. I mean, we're, we're giving you good examples of, uh, <laughs> of some areas that you could take and avoid maybe some findings uh, in your next assessment. I mean, that's an excellent segue into the fact that A2LA Workplace Training has courses on auditing. They have courses on understanding 17025. We have those available both as instructor-led virtual courses. They're currently all virtual, so you can take them online. Uh, and we have uh, e-learning modules as well that are self-directed. You can access them online from anywhere in the world and uh, go through them at your own pace. Uh, if all of this 
discussion has left you with more questions than answers, we also have uh, excellent consulting services from uh, experts with like firsthand industry experience. So they, they know exactly how to guide you through this process. So if you find that you have a need for any of that, you can go to a2lawpt.org. Rob, would you like to tell us a little bit about A2LA and what they do and what listeners could reach out to A2LA for should they have need of any of A2LA's services? Sure. So A2LA is uh, an accreditation body. Um, you know, so we're a separate entity from A2LA uh, Workplace Training. And we just offer accreditation services. So if you're a laboratory looking to be accredited uh, to ISO, 17, ISO IEC 17025 or another conformity assessment standard, uh, you can contact A2LA directly and you, know, you can go on our website, a2la.org, and you can do things like request an estimate um, based upon the scope that you're looking to get accredited for or just reach out in general uh, through the uh, contact us section. And uh, with any questions that you have, and we're here to basically come do the assessments and confirm that you meet the requirements of the standard. And at the end of the day, if uh, if you meet all those requirements, you get a scope and a certificate that says your organization conforms to the standard for specific test or calibrations that you're looking to offer. And now your your customers can rely on that third party attestation as an increased means in the confidence of your data integrity. I understand that the certificates are very shiny. They're very cool. <laughs> very shiny. Yes, yes, exactly. Highly sought after commodity. And uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Rob, for being with us for this entire series. There will be another series of the Conformance Cast up shortly after this one. And as long as you're subscribed, you will be notified about that series as well. Thank you for listening to the Conformance Cast by A2LA Workplace Training. A2LA Workplace Training provides high-quality training and consulting services for laboratories of all kinds throughout the world. Find us online at a2lawpt.org or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook by searching for A2LA Workplace Training.